Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Wonderful to have you here for episode 68, where I sit down with business and leadership coach Farnoosh Brock, who's located not too far from me, right down the road in Cary, North Carolina. And had a great chat with Farnoosh about her journey, you know, starting when she was a kid in Iran and then going to Turkey and coming to the U.S., um, and then how she transitioned through corporate America to ultimately uh, branch out on her own and build her own, you know, business coaching uh, business. And she's done some great things with, you know, her, her latest book, The Serving Mindset, just came out. Uh, she works with a lot of different entrepreneurs and business executives to try to, you know, not only with mindset, but also, you know, building trust and respect um, in the organization. And, and heck, how do, you, how do you scale? How do you, you know, grow profits and those type of things as well? So she also has kind of the health, healthy living component, if you will, side of, you know, I know she's involved a lot. She talks about with yoga. Um, she's authored a few books with um, smoothies and juicing and those type of things, has a wellness program online. So you guys can check her out on her website, farnooshbrock.com. Um, F-A-R-N-O-O-S-H is how you spell her first name, Brock, B-R-O-C-K. So I also have everything linked up in the show notes so you can find different ways to connect with her online. But really had a great interview with her, enjoyed our dialogue throughout and some of the different you know, stories she shares about her journey and, and helping individuals, um, especially in kind of this new career um, that she's created for herself over the last 10 years or so. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat today with Farnoosh Brock. Let's get it started. Farnoosh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Excited to have you. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me as your guest. I'm excited to have our conversation today. Well, it's always nice to speak with folks that are local to me. Um, so it's awesome that you're not too far away. I um, wish we could have done this in person, but I know, you know, scheduled and those type of things. So it's sometimes it's good here just from a, a recording quality. So, uh, but it's fun to chat with you and really to learn a little bit more about your journey. And, and I, as I was doing a lot of research, I was just intrigued by kind of your path, you know, just like a lot of people, right? It's kind of different and unique in its own way. Um, I could start in a variety of areas. I guess I'd start, I'll start at the beginning for you. Cause what I was really intrigued to learn about is that, you know, it's not like you had the, you're born in America and did all this stuff, right? You came from Iran, I know, and you kind of moved as a kid. I, I was really curious. The one thing I wanted to start with, if it's okay, can, yeah. can you talk about those early years? I didn't grow up in a different country. I grew up here, right? In, in New York. So uh, I'm curious, how did growing up in Iran and then moving to Turkey, I'm curious, really, the impact that ha had on your life in, in both a positive or negative way. I don't know. You can take it wherever you want. But I'm curious if you can start there um, and then we'll kind of transition the journey forward. Sure, sure. So um, uh, I was born and raised in Iran, Tehran, the capital. And um, I was uh, I was there until I was 11 years old. And um, it was, um, gosh, night and day difference. Um, in fact, the, the Iran of today is so much different from back then where, um, I don't know if you know, but um, there was also a war with Iraq while I was living there, um, an eight-year war. Nobody can tell you what it started over, but it was active bombings. So when I was like five years old or six years old, um, after the Iranian revolution, which uh, you know, just um, shook up everybody's life. Uh, there was war, and <laughs> my dad almost got sent to war, but he was too clever, and so he evaded that. Thank God. 
But then, you know, there would be sirens at night and then we would all go to our little, little, little hallway and get down and they would always drop one single bomb every night. And it was like this uh, Russian roulette, you know, um, and I was a kid. I mean, when you're a kid, really, things are very different. And uh, I just remember thinking it's exciting and scary, but um, it was terrifying. And my family was so stressed out. My dad had a heart attack. And anyway, I'm going to the very, very negative. I know it was also a good life in that we still had so much family around us. My mom had a large family and um, I was very close with all my cousins and aunts and uncles and everybody lived in the same city. So, you know, that was the one thing we missed when we moved away. And so Turkey came along when my dad had come to the U.S. for six months to try to see if there's a way to immigrate us. There wasn't because he had lived here for 10 years prior to going back to Iran and marrying my mom, if you're following all that. So he considered himself an American. And um, he decided after he came back, uh, there was no way directly to America, our dream country, that, you know what, we're going to go on vacation. Everybody here needs a vacation. So let's go to the one country that doesn't require visa for us poor Iranians. And that was Turkey, right next door. And so off we go for a two-week vacation. My mom's pregnant with my second brother. And I am 11 years old. And then over there in Turkey, my dad decides we're not going back to Iran. That's it. I hope you said goodbye to everybody. And so he kind of tricked us. And it was, you know, applauding along with my mom, apparently. But we lived there for three years. That was the first culture shock for all of us. Um, and I had to learn, along with my brother, English, German, and Turkish at the same time in school. Wow, and that's pretty, in that's pretty insane. Intense, yes. But we picked it up. You pick it up like a sponge. And then... After that, my grandparents who lived here in South Carolina, um, my grandfather got very sick. Um, so um, it's a really sad story, actually. He um, contracted AIDS from the hospital because back then they weren't checking. Just like a poor stroke of luck, right? They didn't even know what it was at the time. So my dad got it in his mind that he's going to bring all of us to the U.S. to be with his family. But we're going to go back to Turkey. But... Of course, we didn't. So we got a one-way visa to the U.S. And I was 15 at the time. So again, another sensitive age. My brother was 14. My other brother was much younger. And then we came to the U.S. So we came to South Carolina. And let me tell you, that was another culture shock. And it was nothing compared to the Turkey culture shock. Because I went to the American high school. And um, I just couldn't understand cheerleaders, football players, homecoming, and you don't have uniforms, you wear whatever you want. It was a different world. So- um, And how did you, can, can I ask, like, how did, um, well, I guess I'm curious, if I can go back a second, I'm just more curious, like, what did your, what did your parents do for a living? What, what were they, sure. what were they involved with? Yeah, so my dad was, um, he was in the pharmaceuticals in Iran, but he was also very much, um, you know, the Iranian culture is big on education and university. And so his dream was to teach. So he started teaching English and math, <clears throat> excuse me, in Turkey at a private high school, which enabled me and my brother to go there. And in the U.S., he was an instructor 
at uh, Greenville Tech, actually, um, in South Carolina. So my mom didn't work until we came to the U.S. and then she studied. She finished college. I'm very proud of her. She she started doing accounting work. And so she started her career. She actually works at SAS now, which is one of the best companies. As you know, it's just down the road here in Cary. So they were and, and again, you know, there's shifts when you move. So um, he shifted his career. My dad was a sole provider at the time. Um, and um, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's no, that's helpful. I'm just curious, like, yeah, what, cause sometimes I know obviously moving from Iran and then Turkey and then us, like, what was he doing to make a living, I guess, to support sure. the family or your mom was doing. So yeah. obviously he, he had some things that were at least helpful for you guys. And yeah, what was, was the shift? I'm sorry. Yeah, what, no, no. I, I was just curious, like the, the yeah. shift, I guess, because this is something and we'll get into this talking about like, you know, some of the things you've had in corporate America and, and, you know, change and those things. Did any of that change, maybe even coming to the U.S. and obviously the big culture shock set you up for success later on as you transition into corporate America and anything like that? Do you remember anything back then or take any, I guess, things that you learned then of how it helped you um, become more involved in a, a, a different community? I, I would say, so because my family was so big on education, you know, like education was big. And by education, I mean the maths and the sciences. If you're going to study art or sports, you're out of luck. You know, that was the serious stuff. But because there was such heavy emphasis on that and the connection of education to success, you know, and we can debate that. And I have changed, I have had some changes of heart on that. But when you're first starting out, education can truly be liberating, especially if you are struggling with other things in life, like adjusting to a foreign culture. It can also be escape, just like books can be such a safe haven for some of us. Education was my escape. You know, I didn't have a lot of friends in high school and it's it sounds really sad, but, you know, it turned out fine. I'm very happy today. But I loved my teachers and they loved me and I was an A student through and through. And so I turned to my books, I turned to my studies, you know, I, and I excelled and excelled and then college. And then after that, it was a matter of getting a good job and being a good employee. And so all of that set me up for really good habits, self-discipline is really what I would say to you. Self-discipline, me and my two brothers. Today, we are three successful entrepreneurs. But to get here, it was the self-discipline. And at first, it was education and then higher education. And then beyond that, being a star employee and, you know, just doing the right thing. So, um, and again, the right thing changes as you age, as you grow different stages of life and different people. But for us, it was truly those lessons. Like, for instance, I'll tell you, my dad loaned me money for college. So I was responsible to first get as many scholarships as I could, which I did. And then, and I didn't go to a terribly expensive school. I went to Clemson University. And at the time, college tuition was decent. But then any other loans that I would get through the bank, and then he loaned me money that I owed him. Now, at the time, I resented him because I was learning that other dads were or moms were sending their kids to college. It's the American culture, right? But that lesson was so valuable to me that you are responsible for earning. And if somebody gives you money, you pay it back. You pay your debts. 
and you try to borrow as little as possible. And I've built my whole life like that. You know, my husband and I, you know, we just have our mortgage and we could pay it off, but there's pros and cons to paying off your mortgage. So it gave me a lot of good life habits that I, I feel some people may lack because maybe they didn't have those circumstances. So it has well, been good. And, and, and I agree with you there. And it's actually, it's funny you mentioned self-discipline. I'm, I don't know if you know that recognize the name David Goggins. Um, I'm big into David Goggins stuff and, and his, uh-huh. and his book can't hurt me. Actually. That's one of the things he talks about um, is that self-discipline. And a lot of people do lack that. Uh-huh. And, and, and again, rightfully so. I think some people it is kind of upbringing and Sure. Maybe it's that sense of entitlement now. I don't know if it's that being an American or something. There's a lot of folks are entitled um, to think, oh, no, why do I have to pay for college or why do I right. have to do this or that? So I appreciate you do saying that. Yeah, and I'm assuming sure. that that's helped you then uh-huh. as you've transitioned, as you said, on your own. And we'll get into this in a second. But just to be able to make smarter choices, I guess, in terms of not just frivolously spending money or anything like that. Like I'm assuming that was a huge lesson that that yeah. learned early on was helpful. Yeah, no, that was really, really big. And, you know, and that actually, in a way, that set me back a little bit because I was so cautious and so, um, so um, against taking risks. You know, I think it, it backfired a little bit because if I had been more prone to taking risks, I would have maybe left my job sooner. However, I still did manage to leave, but you can leave a position, a cushy, nice job and still be responsible and still design your life in such a way that you make responsible choices. And in fact, in hindsight, Brian, when I look at it, a job is the least safe proposition. I have an article on my website, 72 reasons to never get a job. And I understand some of us have jobs, need jobs. I had jobs for many, many years. There are stages of life. There are reasons. But to say that having a job is safe is not true. We see this every day. The safest companies can just show you the door whenever they want. It's a non-binding agreement. And to me, having your own business, you being in charge, you being resourceful, if one income stream ends, you start another one, that is the safest way to live and build a living. But your perspective shifts over time. And so, it, um, it did prevent me from taking this risk. And when I took it, it was a big leap. And then when I brought my husband on board 18 months later, it was a huge leap. And neither set of parents approved our choices. In fact, to this day, they don't fully approve of us having our own business. But that's a culture that you can't really shift. So we accept it. Yeah, I, that's fair. Well, that's I was going to ask uh, that question is like, yeah, how did the how have the parents, you know, how does the family kind Not of uh, accept, <laughs> accept it? It's funny because my brothers apparently are meant to be entrepreneurs. Nobody criticizes them. But when they talk to me, they're like, so how is business? Are things good? Are you OK? Are you guys OK? Yes, we're fine. You know, I have five published books. I just gave a talk at Google. But you know what? There's a great story that I'm going to find the clip for you. It is um, Freddie Mercury's mother, right? Queen, the superstar, the icon. Um, you're familiar with Queen, yes? Absolutely. Yep. Okay, right. Um, a true genius. His mother and sister, post his um, death, are doing an interview with the BBC. And his mother says, 
oh, I wish he had become an accountant and had a desk job. And his sister turns to his mom and says, mom, I think he did all right for himself. And when I watched that, I realized you just cannot change culture. <laughs> so no amount of success may make the person you're seeking approval from to say, yes, go, go start your art studio. Yes, go, go, you know, um, do whatever it is that you dream of doing. And that is okay. So let's take a step back because I want to set the kind of set the tone for again. Yeah. You leaving corporate America when you were back in Clemson. So you did electrical engineering, right? Yes. Bachelors and masters. Okay. And by the way, too, did I see that you minored in French? How many languages do you speak? Yes. French is the one I actually am proud to say I, I speak. Um, I kind of like forgot the Turkish and the German. Okay. <laughs> but I was okay. fluent at one point in my life. It might be still buried in my subconscious, Brian. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but you've learned up to four languages in your, in your life. Yes. And That's I also speak Arabic in Iran because we had to. Yes. Wow. Um, so, when you when you were at Clemson or maybe just leaving Clemson, what would if someone asked you a question at that time of, hey, what do you want to do for your career? What was going to be your what was your answer? What, what did you want to do for the rest of your life? Did you know that at that time? You know, all I knew is that I wanted to have a, to make a living. You know, and I wanted it to be a respectable job. I wanted it to be something that would make my parents proud. Um, I wanted to be able to have an income stream, to have my own place. I mean, I wasn't relating a career to any sense of fulfillment or success or joy. A success, yes, but I define success differently. But at the time, I I thought all I wanted to do to answer your question in terms of a career is to have one so that it enabled me to, to have a life, to have some income. Do you see what I mean? Because yeah. it was a long financial struggle um, and every year things got better, but um, you know, it was, um, it was a dream to have some comfort. So. Yeah. And, and so when you were at, so obviously you were at a couple different companies, obviously Cisco for about a dozen years or so, and you kind of worked your way up the ranks there. Um, when, were things like fine, like were you, were you just ready to leave and say, Hey, or were you working on some things, you know, kind of like a lot of us do kind of the side hustle, if you will, prior, I'm, I'm kind of curious of, of how that dozen years went. What was your kind of takeaway from it before sure. we kind of jump into actually leaving? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, let's talk about that. So I actually started at a startup company that got bought out by a semiconductor giant in um, Silicon Valley, like two weeks after I joined, which was really interesting. But that was a really fun experience. And that was also right here where we are in North Carolina. And then I went to Cisco and I was there just under 12 years. And um, I was excited to be at Cisco. And the first few years, which were the hardest, I was in customer support. I supported IP telephony, um, uh, you know, IP phones for huge service providers like banks and AT&T. And so when their network would break down, they would call us and I would have to find like a needle in a haystack by troubleshooting the system. And so it was very stressful, but I loved it. It was a big company. It had a lot of perks. The culture was great at the time. I was learning and growing. So the first five years were great. Really hard, but really good. And I was making a good living. And um, in fact, I brought Andy over from IBM, my husband, to Cisco. So we were both at the same company, different organizations. And then 
things started to get interesting. I started to, to, to move away from the technical world um, with some hesitation because you get so attached to the thing that you studied in college, in your training. But, you know, I was curious to do more communication, leadership, work with executives, do organizational work. And um, I moved away and I did some interesting work and I started to look for something. And I thought it was this upward mobility, promotion after promotion, more responsibility. But every time I got it, I wanted more of it. So, or I was looking for more. So I realized that, but it didn't stop me. Like I was like, no, 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 I want to go all the way to VP. And VP at Cisco was like pretty tough to get, you know. So I kept looking and changing jobs. And as a result, I got a breath, a good breath of experience. I worked in sales ops, project teams, portfolio management with executives and the technical technical work. But I kept getting more and more unfulfilled as I was making more money. As I was having more responsibilities and traveling the world for Cisco, for work, I was going back and forth to San Jose all the time. And there was a turning point where um, I was on a project that I didn't want to do. And I won't speak of the nature of it. But I went to my senior director and I asked him to please take me off this project. I'm not suited for it. I really wanted to do something else. And he said no. And he put me between a hard uh, rock and a hard place. And... At that time, basically, he implied that if I didn't do that project, it would put a black mark on my career. And that's when I realized, you know what? I do have another option. There is the door. Nobody is handcuffing me to my chair here. If I dared, I could resign. I could leave. And that idea entered my head two years before I actually did it, maybe a year, year and a half. And we were going to Hawaii at the time, and I remember going um, on a drive with my husband to uh, on a road on the road to Hana, which is very interesting. If you've ever been there uh, in Maui, there's this beautiful road you take to Hana and the road is stunning. You go through waterfalls, ocean views. But when you get to Hana, there is absolutely nothing there. And on that road, we decided I'm going to resign. I'm going to take a chance and leave. And my husband was extremely supportive. So um, I came home and I resigned prior to resigning. When that turning point happened a year and a half ago, I started to look for something else. At first, I was just interviewing other companies because I thought, okay, this doesn't work. Naturally, I'm just going to go work somewhere else. What else is there to do? But then I went to the, the conference that changed my life, Blog World 2010 in Las Vegas, thanks to Andy, my husband, who pushed me to go. And there I saw people who had done this thing I wanted to do or thought I wanted to do, like do something on my own. It was just an idea at the time. And I saw people who, you know, did it. They weren't necessarily qualified. They didn't have a fraction of the education I had and they were doing well with it. And so the idea entered in my head that because I didn't want to work for anyone else at the time, like I came to that conclusion. I'm summarizing weeks and months of study and journaling, but I realized I don't want to work for someone else. And, um, and thankfully, Google had rejected me. Funny enough, I went to California, interviewed with Google, went through all the stages. And when they rejected me, I wasn't that sad. And that's when I realized, you know, maybe I do something on my own. And the next few months between when I went to that conference to um, uh, six to nine months later, when I resigned, I started a blog, 
um, or rather, I started my blog earlier. I'm sorry, my timelines are getting mixed up. I was blogging, but it was just a hobby. I took my blog to a different level. I started a newsletter. I started my first product, which completely bombed, by the way. And which I one, cried, what was that? I cried so much over it. Um, it was my um, uh, fear-crushing travel guide. <laughs> And it was good. It was to help people overcome their fear and just get up and go travel. And, um, and it, well, it, it, if we can, if I, if I can pause there for a second, I don't mean to interrupt. I think that's really important, actually, because uh-huh. at least when I talk with some some different folks, a lot of the times they think that the first idea out of the gate, the first thing they do is going to be this instant success. No. And I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the adversity that you went through, because obviously you went to blog world you had some some momentum going and then all of a sudden it's like oh this didn't work out what was the self-talk going through to keep you going forward and not saying oh let me just pack it in and go work for someone else again well that wasn't going to happen i mean that there was a lot of things i was going to do before i was going to go work for someone else like i'm going to sell my grandmother's gold before i go work for someone else like there's many many levels so that wasn't going to happen but i was crushed and it, it didn't take much at the time to discourage me, you know? And I think what happened was I, I just randomly picked an idea, which is fine. I got started. That's the whole point for your, for your uh, podcast, which is brilliant. You've got to get started. I learned so much putting that product together, so much. So that all went into future products. That's the first point. The second one was I had huge unrealistic expectations, And so naturally I had built it so high and they weren't based on any facts or data or experience because I was just starting out. And so naturally the disappointment was huge. And and I think the third one was, I just, um, you know, I just realized it takes longer, it takes more. Like I removed the expectation for immediate success, okay? which has been something that was in my system. Like I was used to success. I craved it. It defined me. My career success defined me. When I was rejected for promotions until I got them, that period was failure in my corporate career. And when I would get the promotion, that was success. It defined my self-worth, in other words. So my self-worth would fluctuate with outside events. And naturally, I brought that into my very, very, young side hustle. And um, it was devastating because then I wasn't able to do much for a couple of months until I put my thoughts together. And, um, and I think it is okay to feel devastated, to feel crushed, to have a good cry or several, and then to decide what needs to happen next, because it's up to you. And what happens next will define your future success. Are you going to try again? Are you going to try differently? Are you going to get someone to help you instead of figuring out on your own? Are you going to build a support system around you? Are you going to change course? Maybe this product failed because, I don't know, for me, it just wasn't the right thing for my audience at the time. Um, So let's try to do some more due diligence as to what it is that my blog listeners and followers want to have. So... um, and it wasn't easy to do any of this, like all of this that I share with you, that those insights came over time, over reading books and blogs and attending, you know, webinars of people I respect or, or, or summits or whatever it was at the time. And 
and and having that support system that that pillar that was my husband for me and you don't need the whole world to be around you your family doesn't have to support you your your friends don't have to support you because they may not understand what you're doing but you need one person that says keep going i believe in you it's okay to fail so what blah 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 <laughs> right but you need that one yeah. person i don't care yeah. who it is. uh-huh well and I think you're right. You're definitely right on that point. I think, you know, it's helpful to have people around you that kind of circle, if you will, even if it is one person. Um, but but you actually mentioned something earlier I wanted to underscore because it is something that's interesting about even this podcast where you mentioned about you kind of uh, you didn't have that barrier of like, I have to be successful tomorrow type thing. Right. Yeah. It's like you understood that it's going to take time. And that's actually probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned with uh -huh. talking with folks on this podcast is consistency is the key. Yeah. You can't expect out of the gate to just all of a sudden you're going to have this big brand within like a couple of weeks or a month. And I even had going, this is, this is going way back, but like, I remember after talking, I had Jordan side on, um, he's known a lot. Cause he's a big fitness professional and was Gary Vaynerchuk's, you know, personal trainer and stuff like that. But he was on all the way back in episode four. And he actually said to me after we did the podcast and he said, Brian, don't look at, you know, the next two years, give yourself a couple of years to kind of build a brand and, and really talk with some great people and, and enjoy the process. Don't even think about, you know, cause I have people all the time, like, Brian, are you going to monetize this? You're going to do this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, you know, you don't have to do it out of the gate. You can kind of build up and as long as your passion, I think. So it kind of goes back to your thought is I think that's a, a lesson for a lot of folks listening that are kind of thinking, Hey, do I want to do something? You don't have to have this massive big business day one. It's at least taking that first step or two to kind of go in the right direction. I don't know if you agree by that that tangent there, but no, 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 absolutely. And then with your friend, with um, Gary's uh, coach, I I definitely agree. And I think it really depends on what like your own goals. Because sometimes we get so caught up in watching others and thinking, oh, I should be like that, or I should be like this, or I should follow this person or that person. And before you do any of that, I think you really want to have a conversation with your own soul and ask, what is going well in my life? What is going poorly? What is the source of that? Is it my job? You know, I've worked with a lot of people over the years. I do coaching private in groups and I see people go through their journey. And I saw some people who thought for a fact they want to leave their job and have their own business. And they came back full circle after working with me because they realized they don't want to leave their job. They actually love their job. One of them was missing a meaningful relationship in her life. Another one was just in a poor place and the culture wasn't a good fit. But that's not obvious when you're in the situation because when you're inside the frame, who says this? It's a quote and he's a brilliant speaker. When you're inside the frame, you can't see the full picture. So you need someone from the outside to give you that perspective or to help you think through it, walk through it. But if you know what is not going well in your life, if the source of it is really your job, then you need to figure out what needs to happen to take that first step and then the next step and then the next one to exit that situation, to distance yourself from it or to make it palatable so you can remain in it, but you have your own boundaries, whatever it may be. And maybe you start something on the side or you you, you take better care of your health, but it's not the same for anybody. I mean, everybody has their own way of becoming fulfilled and happier and more successful. And so that, that identity needs to come first.
And then once you figure out your goals, there's so many ways to approach and arrive at those goals too. Well, so speaking of that, um, that's a good transition. So obviously you said you tried, you tried the, like the travel, um, you know, the uh, travel guide, if you will, or whatever. Yes. <laughs> how did you, how did you ultimately land on, you know, prolific living and kind of going into the coaching, you know, mentorship, that type of angle? Um, talk, can you talk through those early days of, of how you guys had that conversation? Maybe you and your husband talked about that. Like, yeah. how, how did you come to that conclusion? Sure. So um, uh, the prolific living, I started in 2009. So I, I just remembered, you know, 2009 was when I consolidated my my little blogs and I landed prolific living. So but at the time, it was just a blog and I didn't really know exactly what it was going to be. My uh, my tagline was um, smart habits for rich living. And I think I've stayed true to that. Smart habits for rich living. The rich is not necessarily money. It's just, you know, the word rich. So I was blogging. Obviously, I quit my job and there needed to be an income stream. I don't really use the word monetize. There's nothing wrong with it. But, you know, I think in terms of profit, income, revenue. And so what needed to happen for me to do that? I wanted to have passive income streams. I was really enamored by that. And so I became a product machine, Brian. I mean, I had so many ideas. I started writing digital books. I started creating audio programs. I started putting together courses. I started, this is after the failed first attempt. I started paying attention to what my audience wanted. Like I remember printing all these responses from a survey, going to my reading room with a highlighter in hand and finding patterns. And the patterns that emerged at the time were confidence, lack of confidence, self-doubt, um, motivation. Uh, and, and so I built my confidence building guide, which has done really well. So I started to build my skills around uh, creating like a mini digital enterprise for myself. But at the same time, as you do this, people watch and they start to come into your circle. And I started getting inquiries about whether I work with people. And the first person was actually a friend from my old Toastmasters club. And I would normally mentor for free, right? Sure, let's have a conversation. But you know, I took a risk and I said, you know what, Rama, I actually do this for a living, which I hadn't started doing, by the way. Um, and I charge for this. And I was sure he would go away. And he came back. And he said the two magical words that started my coaching career. How much? <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea how much. Let me think about that. I didn't say that to him. But I came up with something. And I went into that session. And at the time, I was still employed at Cisco. So I came to the session. We were in a conference room. And at the end of the session, he put $80 on the table. $80. And let me tell you, Brian, I was so hungry for more. First of all, because I was good at what I did and I wanted to do more of it. It energized me to help this person and there was so much more there. So I started my coaching business and at the time I was charging by the hour and it was around career coaching, which I knew really well from having navigated years at the corporate world and really understanding corporate America. And later that led to, you know, one of my best products, uh, Crack the Coach to get promoted. But at the time, it was just an idea to help people with their careers. And I loved it. And I followed the energy. Maybe passion isn't the right word. There was passion too. But I want to give another word to your listeners because sometimes people, passion has been overused and 
may not give people the right message, energy. What is energizing you and what is, by the same token, draining you? If you follow the energy, it can give you clues as to maybe what it is that you might find fulfilling as a work, as a line of work. And the coaching has been wonderful. It's gone through so much evolution, but um, that was the start of the coaching. Um, now, did I answer your question? I hope I didn't digress. No, you. that's well, that's good. Again, I, I, I really wanted to understand, yeah, how the kind of first steps. So it seems yeah. like those building blocks obviously had led you to, you know, down that path there um, to, to coaching and helping folks. And is there a certain uh, person you normally work with? Is it, is it someone that's a, a business owner? Is there someone that's in corporate America today? Is there who do you generally work with or who's kind of from a clientele standpoint? Sure. Um, and before I answer that, let me comment on what you said, just so maybe this can be helpful for your listeners. So for me, the blog was a foundation. Yes, it was a platform and it reached people and then people knew what I'm doing. That is not necessary. If you're listening here and thinking, oh, I would love to start my consulting career tomorrow. You do not need a blog, a podcast. I mean, podcasts are great, Brian, but but you don't need them. I help people who don't want to do all that, but they are really good at the communication and doing the people work. You do need to know how to build relationships and how to have conversations, but I happen to have the blog as a platform, and so it was a starting point. It's not a necessity. So thank you for indulging me on that. Now onto your question, um, which was, hold on, um, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot your just, question. Just no, that's okay. Just just curious, like the, the type of um, person you work with. Is it someone that's in corporate America? Is it a business owner, entrepreneur? Is it a mixture? It is a mixture. It is a mixture today. So because the career coaching, um, it did well. Um, and because I have the course and people sometimes take the course and they want more individual coaching, I happen to have uh, currently actually uh, 60% of my clients right now happen to be career coaching, different uh, different stages in their careers. And, um, you know, maybe they're in transition, maybe they're stuck, maybe they are just unhappy or kind of lost and confused, or they just, you know, they want more. And so there is that, but because, um, you know, my the last year and a half, I published my book, which was based on years of work in business and business growth. I do also have, uh, business owners and uh, uh, small businesses and entrepreneurs and people who are leaving their job or have started their job to to help them. And I'm trying to focus in a particular area with them, which is an area around my book, which is changing conversations from selling, from traditional selling, which may not feel really good for some of us, to serving, a framework where you are serving and you're being of genuine help and building the that meaningful relationship, which actually leads to businesses, uh, business opportunities. So that's the area that I'm focusing on primarily with my entrepreneur business uh, clients, but we also expand beyond that. Let's let's dive into writing for a little bit um, because I'm curious because now you've written a variety of different books. Did I, did I see right? Fact check me in this. Like you did like healthy living books and and yeah. stuff like that, right? Oh, can you talk about that journey in writing? Why was that something important for you? And, and how did that get started? 
Sure. Yes. The whole niche down, niche down. I didn't really take that advice, did I? <laughs> um, I went to a conference. Well, that was the whole point. And, uh, you know, for me, again, your individual self comes with you to the business. You can't forget it and just do what you're told because that has worked for, I don't know, a fraction of your market. So for me, I know that I get bored easily. And there are some things, you know, I'm very consistent with over the years. But for instance, I podcasted for two years and I just didn't have more to say at the time. So we retired the podcast and I allowed myself to do that. The juice book, the Healthy Juicers Bible, and then followed by the Healthy Smoothie Bible. And then this year, the Healing Drinks book. Those are all traditionally published by our publishers in New York. That was an opportunity that came to me because my blog was talking so much about juicing and juice fasting, which was something I was fascinated with at the time. And it was my own turning point. I had a pretty rough year in 2007. So this goes way back, right? I was still at Cisco traveling a lot. My dad had come down with cancer. Thankfully, he's okay. But it was a rough year. And I started to pay more attention to my own health. And I fell into juicing and I started blogging about it. I started a newsletter. I did a little tiny ebook on Amazon, which just exploded. It was so shocking. And from that, these publishers found us. And that's a unique situation. That may not happen for everyone, right? But because they did, they approached us. This opportunity fell into my lap. And I was more than happy to write that first book, The Healthy Juicer's Bible. And from there, um, I found that, you know, I like it. I like to have the smart habits around taking care of yourself, as well as all the savvy business advice that I have for the serious business owner, you know. So um, the same publishers actually published The Serving Mindset this past November. So um, the, the juice books have done well. It was really fun to write those recipe books. And it has really helped so many people pick up the habit of juices, smoothies, healing drinks, and it fulfills me. And some of those people, believe it or not, this is why everything is so connected. They became my business clients. So I don't coach on juicing or smoothies or health at all. I coach on business and career. But those people, because of the trust that the book built or the credibility or whatever it may have been, became my clients on the business side. And so that shows you that you can, you know, step away from something that seems so focused and maybe do something on the side if you're really called to it. And you can also connect the dots to this individual that you are and all the things that you offer. Yeah, that's that's really great. Yeah, we could do a whole, you and I probably could do a whole podcast episode just on health and wellness because like I'm big into CrossFit and I do intermittent fasting and sleep is like number one. It's so important. So yes, yes we can it, talk, do that, Brian, because I we, have- we, we could do that. Yeah, that that because I, I know I can go on like 10 tangents right now and derail this conversation. But let me ask you one question on this just for fun. What's like one ingredient that people could add to their smoothie um, or juice or whatever that maybe they're not even thinking of? Is there some some random like cool ingredient that you thought maybe add some great taste or health benefits or whatever that people aren't thinking of? Well, I'm going to champion spinach here. <laughs> so spinach, which has no taste at all, won't change the taste of your juice or smoothie by much, as opposed to, say, kale or celery. Um, is is great. It's a great green, dark, leafy vegetable to add. And 
If you don't have time to consume all your vegetables during the day, it's great. It goes with just about every smoothie because it's so tasteless, but it has so many benefits. So um, that's the one I would say without knowing the rest of the recipe. Yeah. Okay, good. No, I appreciate that. That's uh, that's helpful. Maybe right away, folks, and throw that into their uh, their mix. Um, all right. So with the time we have left, I, I do want to chat a little bit from a, a coaching standpoint. What are some things, and maybe it's that you do personally, or you've seen it have worked very well for the folks that you've coached around really daily habits, setting goals. Um, because I think one of the things that I at least see, you know, in corporate America is um, folks that lose focus that maybe don't have any defined goals throughout their day or week. And, and all of a sudden they don't reach certain things where they want to get to. Um, and I think that comes back to a lot of that focus. You talk about self-discipline earlier, but is there any habits that you've seen have worked or maybe routines people have set up that have been really helpful to get them on track? Sure. I mean, great question. And we could do several episodes on that. I mean, I am so big into habits. Um, I would say, think of it this way. Ask yourself, what is your grounding practice on a daily basis? Okay, what is it that grounds you? I really like the way that sounds because you want to be grounded in yourself, in your body, in your mind, so that you are not swayed by all the things that come at you. And this grounding practice is yours. You can design it. It can be meditation. And meditation itself is a world, right? It can be a, um, you know, a breathing practice. It can be yoga. It can be a health habit that you do very mindfully, like making your juice, making your um, your your tea, whatever it is that you drink. Um, it could be a water habit, hydration. But there has to be a habit that you do for your well-being that grounds you in your system. I love the breathing. I love different types of meditation. I I practice close to two hours of yoga a day unless I'm traveling. You know, that's for me. That's very different from what Brian would do to ground him and very different from what might work for you and your schedule. So the grounding practice I find is powerful and you can build habits around it it could be five minutes here five minutes there and i track my habits i love tracking for me it gives me that i've done it check mark so whatever it may be it could be it could be a, a ritual to take care of your your i don't know to put on makeup if you don't do that and maybe that would make you feel better and more grounded in yourself there's no judging here but it's something that is healthy, good for your well-being, good for your body, makes you feel better about yourself, makes you realize that self-worth that I mentioned earlier isn't a function of outside failures and successes. It is who you are. And that person you are needs a lot of love and caring. And so you want to build a grounding practice on a daily basis. As little as five minutes, but you can expand it to two hours. I don't know your schedule. You might. Or you might decide the, the returns you get from that grounding practice in your life are worth 30 minutes a day, 45 minutes a day. And the time isn't so important because you might think you're just spending the time, but you don't realize the energy it might give you, the, um, the peace of mind it might give you, which will in turn make you more efficient for all the things ahead of you that day. So... I would say go with that. 
and then decide what works for you. Start really small and stick with it. That consistency Brian mentioned is key. So for instance, one of my latest, latest uh, habits is I don't like weightlifting or going to the gym and my yoga is pretty intense, but because I've been recovering from a bad shoulder injury from, we won't mention what, I am going to um, pick, I was going to pick up something that was going to help me. So my husband mentioned push-ups. He was just mentioning something before he fell asleep. And I'm like, oh, push-ups. Every morning for the past 80 days, every morning, I have done 10 push-ups, just 10. I don't care, sometimes 11, but I've done it every day and I feel so much stronger. And that's my Zen grounding habit, well, one of them. So I'm going to stop here, Brian, because I think I might be going way over, but there you have it. No, I like I like that. Well, and I think, again, what you're saying, at least what I'm interpreting right is something that at least is going to almost and build a routine in each and every day to have some consistency you know, yeah. that you can kind of fall back on, even whether you have a good day or bad day, right? You know, this is what I'm going to do, or maybe multiple things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you do so I think that's... You do it when you're stressed. You do it when you're, you think you're running late. If you're running late, you reschedule it. Like it has to be something that gets done because the skipping it is just, it's going to kill the habit, you know? So that's really important. Yeah. What's your advice or what do you, and you could kind of take this how you want. And, and I'm not, again, it's one of those things. I think sometimes people think I'm saying like, leave your job. I'm not leaving my job. I still have a full-time job. I love, you know, I'm in a sales role. I love it. Uh-huh. Um, but people that are either looking to do something a little different again, outside of that or leaving altogether. I hear a lot of, of the excuses of, well, I, I either, A, I don't have the money or hey, I have bills that I have to do this, or yeah, that person has more talent than me. It, yeah. I'm curious how you would change or at least help to alter someone's mindset on going after really what they want in life instead of just feeling like, nope, I'm stuck. I have to do this. And hey, maybe someday I'll retire type thing. Yeah. Do you have any yeah. advice you'd share with them? Any insight maybe from your experience of, of doing this journey? Sure. And, and again, you know, it's, it's a pretty deep topic there. What I would say to that is, you know, I don't try to change anyone's mind. If somebody says to me, here's all the reasons I can't do what I want. I'll say, okay, there is all the reasons you can't do what you want. So you can't have it. And that in itself, sometimes it starts a conversation. So then we talk about why do you want that thing that you talk about? Like, why is it important to you? What if you don't have it? Maybe it's not such a big deal. And sometimes it is just a pipe dream. You think you want something and you don't really want it. So maybe all the reasons you give us are actually good reasons. That, ha- that has actually happened. You know, like I realized I don't want six pack apps. I just, I'm not willing to do the work to get there. But I had to really be honest with myself. But if you really want the thing that you talk about, if you're itching to get it, then you really have to think about, you know, what you're telling yourself. So anything you tell yourself is going to be true. Um, You're too tired. It's too difficult. It's not possible. And so you really want to have a conversation with someone. But let's say you and I were having a conversation. I was just having this conversation with a potential client. And she was saying, you know, Farnoosh, it's just so hard, isn't it? And, you know, in that conversation, I wasn't there to please her. I was there to serve her. So I said, you know, Claire, I'm curious, what makes it so hard? And, you know, Brian, he just she just looked at me because she was expecting me to agree because it's something we say. It's so hard. And everyone agrees. Yeah, it's really hard. But I'm like, what is so hard about it? I wasn't 
questioning her. I was just curious. And she couldn't articulate it. And then she talked herself into how, well, actually, I can do that. Maybe I'm going to start doing that. I don't know what made it so hard. I just keep saying that. And so sometimes the excuses, you just have to call your own bluff, you know? So there's so many different ways to look at this because the mind, it just tries to trick you, right? And take that path of least resistance, which is right to the couch and Netflix, which by the way, I do sometimes. Okay, nothing wrong with that. What's your, what's your favorite show? Oh my God, Stranger Things. Oh my God, let's do another podcast episode on just Stranger Things now. All right, we got two others that we have to do now. <laughs> we have to have Andy on, but it's the best. It's the only one I watched twice. But you know, in all seriousness, if you really, really, really want what you want, then you have to make a deal with yourself. I don't know how old you are, but you're not going to live forever. So you just have to decide, is it going to happen now or in the next five years or in the next decade or never? Because things don't magically line up one day and you wake up and say, oh my God, today is the day I start my business. It doesn't work that way. And you don't want to get to the point of absolute misery in order to make the turnaround. It's really hard. You want to do it when you're still in a good place mentally, emotionally, physically, psychologically, so that you have the resources to build that dream. And if you remove the pressure of success and take a teeny tiny step every day, but be consistent, you will shock yourself with how far you go. There's a lot of different things that go into that. You know, you're taking the right steps. Hopefully you have some guidance, support, etc. But it does not take much to get started. Basically, I would say in every case, we are stopping ourselves from getting started. Well, that's a great, that's a great way to end on. I think that's, I don't know if we can, if I can top that. So that's awesome. Um, what, uh, where can everyone find you online and connect with you? You can find me, um, two places, either prolificliving.com or my full name, farnoushbrock.com. And I would love to connect with you. I am on LinkedIn, pretty active on LinkedIn, but I also, um, have a playground on Instagram. It's mostly yoga and travel and uh, book and speaking, but I love to connect with uh, Brian's listeners. So feel free to reach out. Furnish, this has been awesome. Um, so we have, we now have two episodes we have to do. We have to do one on health and wellness and on stranger things. Um, we'll, we'll schedule those out. I'm sure they'll be fun. Um, but anyways, no, this was awesome. I really appreciate you taking some time out. We definitely want a lot of tangents, but uh, this was really fun. And, and I appreciate you sharing your story with the, uh, with the listeners and myself. My absolute pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview and look forward to having you for the next one. And if you are getting value out of this podcast, please head over to iTunes, leave me a quick review, let me know how I'm doing. It's the only way I'm going to be able to make this podcast better each and every episode. And go connect with me online at Brian Andreco on Instagram or Twitter, or head over to my website, brianandreco.com, where I house the podcasts, you know, my CrossFit journey, a ton of blog articles. I even have a now page to kind of keep people up to speed on the last couple months. Um, at worst, it gives my mom peace of mind to keep tabs on me and know that I'm doing okay. So I hope you guys continue to do great. Um, I look forward to having you on another episode and keeping connected online. Take care, have a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon.